Hello, folks, and thank you for tuning in to the Strange Tonic Podcast. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's get to it. First of all, thank you to Pan Astral for allowing us to use their music on our podcast. In this episode, we are using Animal off of their current most recent album, Spurt and Blues, but that might change here pretty soon because if you check out panastral.com or panastral on Bandcamp, they recently put up a new single, Vitamin C, off of their yet-to-be-named newest album. So do it up. Also, they are playing June 1st at the Globe in Denver. So whenever you can, check out Panastral. Panastral.com, Panastral on Bandcamp, Panastral on iTunes, and Panastral on SoundCloud. Also, on this recording, we've got ourselves a phenomenal guest host in Courtney, who is a just rock star. There's no ways to put it. She's worked for some fantastic organizations. She's a great person, obviously. She's a great interview. And uh, I sort of want to keep interviewing her as much as we can. But I had to cut this off because, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. So we'll get that done here uh, as much as we can if Courtney wants to. So thank you, Courtney. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Pan Astral. And I'm going to try and include this as much as I can. Take care of each other. Take care of your health. I think we'll all feel better. I know um, I was worried about my health, and I kind of went in and saw someone about it. And thanks to my excellent insurance and everything else, I feel better, uh, not only just from a health standpoint, from a mental health standpoint. And I think uh, not to project on everyone else, I think it'll be good if you do it. So with that being said, again... Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Pan Astral. Thanks, Courtney. And, uh, you know, let's just do this. Thanks. Michelle and I just kind of like chat until we get into it, mostly because it's always the mm-hmm. same, the two of us. But uh, hey, I'm just here for the ride, Noel. I'll right. do whatever you want. <clears throat> all right. Not whatever. Oh, and we cannot talk about uh, Trevor Simeon going to the Vikings either. <laughs> what? He's going to the Vikings? Yep. If they're just playing tradesies. Like, so flip flop. You come here, you go there. Yeah. I mean,. I guess, well, they they went from having three quarterbacks to none to having one very expensive one. Now they have two. Yeah. And uh, we'll save, I want to talk about the expensive quarterback towards the end, so we'll save that okay. until then. Um, okay. So, Courtney, I do realize that you may have told me, or I may know, but it doesn't pop, like, off the top of my head. Like, where were you born? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Um, so I was born in um, the all-important state of Iowa. Ah, yes. So I was I was born in Dubuque, Iowa. Dubuque. I lived there till I, yeah, the Catholic capital of Iowa, um, which was really weird for my parents. 
um, <laughs> growing up Lutheran and then starting the first Unitarian church in Dubuque, Iowa, which is still there. And they're very proud of that. Um, and then As we it moved, should be. yeah, uh, they started like in our house. Um, when I was three, we moved to Pittsburgh and I lived there till for five years. So I was, um, almost eight when we moved to Milwaukee, we lived there for a year and moved pretty quickly. Um, my dad did not <laughs> like it there. I didn't like, my mom didn't like the cold coming off of the lake. Yes. Um, the winters were terrible. Um, she broke her leg there trying to run down the stairs after putting me to bed um, to watch the Twin Peaks finale. So she like <laughs> hates Milwaukee and Twin Peaks. Um, and then we moved to Minnesota and I lived in Minnesota from eight to almost 15. And then we moved to, I, I, in all these battleground states though. And then I moved to Ohio. So we oh, moved yeah, to Cincinnati. Wow. Um, and we were in Cincinnati for 10th, 11th and 12th grade. Um, my parents stayed two more years and, um, I went from Cincinnati to Nashville to go to Vanderbilt, spent six years there, both in undergrad, grad school and working. And then I spent two years in DC working for the League of Conservation Voters. And then I moved out here and I've been here. It'll be, oh gosh, it'll be, oh, there's my Minnesota accent. Don't you know? Um, it'll be, it'll be 10, <laughs> 10 years at the end of this year, which is crazy. I say, don't worry. My, yeah. uh, my Twin Cities accent slash Northern Illinois comes out every once in a while. Rarely though. Well, probably by the end of this, it'll, we'll both have some really long O's. Probably. <laughs> really long O's. Yeah. I just tend to occasionally do the whole, uh, a vote thing. A vote. It, it'll yep. just pop up and I'm like, oh and crap, like, there it is. You're like, I'm not from Canada. <laughs> well, I am from Northern Wisconsin. Well, well, just really I guess, close. I guess you can't say I'm from there because I was, I just had to, I had to think about this. I was like, how long did I live in Colorado for? And it, <laughs> and it would have been, I mean, it was just over 21 years before I, yeah, I moved I out think, here. I think you're a native. I think that's okay. Which I wanted to ask you about because I've been like reading kind of comment sections about you know, the boom in Denver right now. And mm -hmm. it seems like half the people are complaining about transplants. The other half are transplants complaining about the natives. <laughs> yeah. And so it's been kind of nuts. Um, we just hit our median income is our median house price is higher than that of Washington, DC Metro. Jesus. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, I mean, I don't leave the house cause I work from home, so I don't really get to complain about anyone. Um, but I have a lot of friends. This is so random. I've had a lot of friends from sewing blogs who are, because <laughs> that's my other passion besides politics, mm -hmm. um, who are moving out here. Like their husband's got a job or their wife's got a job and they moved to Denver. And I'm like, hi, new sewing friend. Here's my favorite sewing shop. Why are you here? Why you know, are you it's, here? <laughs> but you know, when, when Charles Schwab moved in down here, um, we had a huge influx of people from California because they mm -hmm. shut down all their major offices in Cal in San Francisco. The cost of living there is insane. So that boosted all of our housing prices up out here because there weren't enough houses um, yep. for, for everyone. And then um, Charles Schwab and then now the hospitals are all expanding and it's, it's crazy. It really is quite nuts. It's interesting to <clears throat> try and describe what it's like to get around in Denver to people who live in Seattle because 
it's <clears throat> I guess it's sort of like the same is going on as far as like the boom and like housing prices are going right. up and all that stuff. But when you try and tell someone that like it would take X amount of time to go X amount of miles around Denver, they're like, oh, wow, that sounds nice. You're like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> like it, it's more spread out. Like here, everything's just kind of clumped together. Right. So, you know, taking an hour for me to go like 18 miles at night, or I think it's less than that, is not like people are like, oh, that's, that sounds about right. But then, like, you tell them, and this was 2011, when I would commute to and from uh, the Thornton area uh, from Greeley every day. Ugh. And people like, well, how bad is that? I was like, oh, it's not bad. It's like, it's, you know, 45 yeah. minutes each way. And like, you tell the people out here, like, oh, so that must have been like, what, 30 miles? You're like, no, it's about 90 miles. <laughs> like, yeah, a little, little bit longer than that. And yeah. I was going 75 on the highway. That's true. But, uh, yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, we always take, um, to get to the airport, I take the C4, E470 mm -hmm. and I pay for it. I think it's like, I don't even know how much it is, Noel. That's a problem. I think it's like <laughs> 15, maybe 30 bucks. It's like, I don't even know. But at some point, you don't care. Because you're trying to get to the airport. You're going to travel all day. And so thank God for E470. Is it even or, that much though? Because uh, so right before I moved out here, I was super late for a flight down to California. Oops. And so I was like, well, I got like 45 minutes to get to the airport. Like, you got to do it. Yeah. So and I just got a new car. And so I'm like, I have my temp tags on, just hopped on E470, got there, <laughs> managed to get my flight. And over a year later, I get a letter in the mail that is from whatever company like operates E470 yeah. saying that I owe them like $7 and some odd cents. And that's including with a late fee. Oh, I think it might have gone up since okay. then. I think it's gone up. We'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes. Because, that's true. Uh, I don't remember, it, but I just I think, don't care. Yeah, it's. I think it's worth the money because you, you don't have to deal with yeah. the stress because going to the airport already is so much fun. Oh, yeah. And so... We had last year, it was last year, my friend was visiting from Cincinnati and it was, we had this crazy snowstorm. She was like the last flight to get in her bags. They, they sent all the Southwest or frontier people home and it took 45 minutes to get her bag after we had like, she had gotten off the plane um, and like made it to the concourse and everything. And then we were just like, what? And they had like one guy doing the last flights that were coming in. And this was in the afternoon. Yeah. So I left our house and it was sunny, but we had just gotten all the snow mm -hmm. and there was more coming. I was like, this isn't going to be fun. So I get to the airport, I pick her up F like four and a half hours later, we're finally back home. But I took E470 because they do such a good job plowing it. Um, and we true. spent most because you pay for it. So I spent most <laughs> of the time behind a plow and and Tara, my friend, was like, like scared to death because she had never seen this much snow at one time. And it, oh, we got we got like a f maybe a foot and a half, like really quickly. And so it was terrible, and it was icy. It was horrible. But thank God for E four seventy R. I don't know what I I would have made it home. I would have been stuck at the airport with her bags. Yeah, and you'd be stuck at the airport ever. No, especially because I don't think people realize how far away the Denver airport is. Which they tried to do on purpose. Yeah, no, it's in Kansas. I yes. mean, it's it's so far out there, and it's such a pain. But you know, it's a, it gets you where you need to go. Yes, Man. and 
uh, when I first moved to Denver back in 1990, I remember this. I was a kid, obviously, but uh, Stapleton was still a thing. Right. And so part of the reason why they made it, as you said, out in Kansas was people were complaining about the noise. So I kind of like did a facepalm thing when I started reading people complaining about their houses. The distance. They, no, people who bought oh, houses by the airport yes. because they were cheap. In Green Valley Ranch. Yeah. Yeah. Complaining that their you know, airplanes were too loud. It's like, you chased yeah. the airport out there. Come on. Yeah. Well, this is a problem we've already been through. Mm -hmm. We can't put it any farther away. I mean, now they have the... So when I worked for Conservation Colorado, which at the time was called... Um, environment to Colorado, like he's changed his name three times, but um, we did a lot of work on transportation and trying to get light rail to the airport. So, I mean, that opened up, I think a year and a half ago. And it, for us, it wasn't convenient. You would have to go like, so we live South of town and you'd have to go downtown to union station transfer <laughs> and then Ugh. go like all the way loop around. I mean, it takes you less time to walk there. Like, so you do yeah. all the way around and then, go up so now you can get all the way up there you have to only have to do one transfer because this is so so silly but the so there's the light rail that sort of rims the city but to get out to the airport it's heavy rail huh so they use they use some already there tracks to save money which i appreciate but it means you have to transfer so if you don't time it just right it can either take you 35 minutes to get to the airport from here, which is great, or two and a half hours. Like, <laughs> it, and then and the A train, which is what that is, breaks down constantly. There was a story uh, last year where a whole bunch of people going to the airport to leave were stuck on a bridge oh, Jesus. on the A train, which is only like two cars, and they're stuck at like 150 feet up, and they had to come and walk them down the bridge. It was a mess. So we're still working on public transport in Denver, Colorado. You know, just a giant city, no big deal, but we can't get anywhere. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I think it's the same just about anywhere in America because, mm -hmm. you know, we're a car nation. I mean, even yeah. here in you know, super liberal Seattle, uh, I live like, you know, a stone's throw, really, if you think about it, from downtown. And light rail is just about to get out to us here. That's crazy. But uh, last year, I was like, you know, I, I talk about needing to use mass transit and all this stuff and, you know, wanting to more bring my actions in line with the stuff that I <laughs> espouse. Right. And I went on the uh, Department of Transportation website and they, like, let you put in, like, where you're going from and, like, where your destination is. And, like, they tell you step by step how to get there using transit. Mm -hmm. I would have had to leave for work <laughs> an hour and a half earlier and I've got a parking ride a block from my house. Mm -hmm. How many times do you have to transfer? Like three or four. Yeah, that's about right. It's so annoying. So I would end up but... leaving for work at like four something in the morning <laughs> and getting home at seven o'clock at night. It's like, this is just inconvenient. Like, I will say that I miss being able to sit down and just read. Mm -hmm. Like, I had to commute downtown and I would, I would take the light rail. I would drive to the Santa Fe station. So there's 20 minutes there. And then I get on the light rail for 40 minutes. But at least I could just sit there and read and, like, I was a calmer human being when I'd come home. And now since mm -hmm. I work from home, it's like when Mike, my husband, comes home, I'm like, here, here, take this baby. I I, I need I, – I have to do something. Mm -hmm. But when I lived in D.C., you know, I sold my car 
um, which I missed terribly because it was an amazing car because um, I had a Honda CRV and it was perfect for everything. But um, we, I sold my car and I took mass transit everywhere because it's amazing mass transit. You can get anywhere in DC using using the train. I mean, sometimes it broke down, but at least everyone was stuck with you. So if you were late to work because the red line <laughs> yeah. broke down, it's half your staff was there too. So, you know, it, it was a little bit easier. So yeah. I, I, it's, they know how to do it on the East coast when it comes to, to mass transit. And I think part of that is sort of that, you know, we're the West coast, um, you know, we're the frontiersmen. We don't, we don't need no stinking mass transit type type yeah. feeling. And now that's catching up with us. So it's, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. And you still can't get people out of their cars because they have to have yep. their cars. And that's why you have to make, I think, especially in places like Denver, you have to make transit more, as you said, like it can't be just like marginalized people that are taking it. Like once right. you get professionals and stuff on it, then it's like, Oh, it was late because my bus broke down. Oh, that's, that's sad. Like, yeah, it's like, Oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's, I think we'll get there. I think it's because we have to, mm -hmm. um, especially with all the commuters and they're, they're moving it farther out down here. I think eventually it's going to go all the way to Castle Rock and because crazy people commute from Castle Rock <laughs> to downtown. And yep. that just sounds like a freaking nightmare to me. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I love Castle Rock, but I'm not going to commute for an hour and 50 minutes. Like the other day, um, my friend was in town and we went to drinks at, uh, Dry Dock Brewery in Aurora. And then she's like, she was meeting up another friend downtown on Downing and uh, like Downing and 12th North Downing. And I was like, this should take 20 <laughs> minutes. We're going, we're going North at five o'clock. This is going to take an hour and a half. You know, it's just like, yeah, at least I get more time with her because she was in town visiting, but you know, we didn't really want it to be sitting in traffic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, so, but it's, it's gotten Denver progressively worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's gotten so much worse. It's, it's, it's something that someone's going to have to deal with. When I was a senior in high school, I was taking a government class, which was required at the time, which uh, most kids didn't pay attention to. That's actually kind of where I got my, oh, I'm actually a liberal politics from, but um, <laughs> So we had a guy come in and his like he was working for some organization that did a lot of like smart growth and stuff like that. So uh -huh. they were trying to combat like suburban sprawl and all that stuff. Yeah, NIMBYs. And he was saying how you know, uh, they just started T-Rex at this point. He's like, it will not be finished <laughs> for at least 10 years. He's like, many of you will not even live in this state. <laughs> I remember at the time thinking like, that's bullshit. Then it's like, oh, wait, I was one of those guys that ended up moving out of the state before they finished it. <laughs> yep. And now they're doing, I don't know if you've been back since they started like destroying C-470. No. <laughs> but, oh yeah. So C-470 from 25 to San, no farther to Wadsworth. They're putting in express lanes on each side. So they're expanding it to three lanes. Mm -hmm. That sounds nice. Gonna be, it's going to be nice. You're going to have to pay to take that express lane. Yeah. Which is stupid, but um, that's how Dr. Cog, which is the people who did it, um, that's the committee. It's called Dr. Cog. Um, <laughs> that's what they came up with. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. we'll see if that shows up. Okay, uh, take three. Um, so 
C470 is expanding. They're putting in lanes on each side, and um, which is cool. I'm hoping that during the day you can just use all three lanes. But for now, it's so scary because how they've had to cut it into the sides, it's like you go down, you're going towards Santa Fe at 60 miles per hour down a hill, and then all of a sudden you have to take a really sharp left. And it's just like, <laughs> it's terrible. It's quite terrifying. Um, it's been, and there's like barriers up. There's no side rails. And at one time I was driving to Costco probably because um, that's where you go mm -hmm. uh, when you live in the suburbs. I was driving to Costco and my there was like a light on and my hood had popped open. Oh, jeez. And I'm on C470 with no side rails. And I was like, I'm going to die. And I... <laughs> My like first car, which was a 1990 red Geo Metro convertible, um, that leaked. It was amazing. Um, thanks, mom and dad. Um, the the front would pop open, and <laughs> like when you're driving. So I had these like flashbacks on C470 of my you know Toyota Highlanders front just popping open. So I had to like find a little strip to like pull over and like. The four-wheel drive was like, what's going on? And, oh, it was a nightmare. And the cars wasn't by. But I got to Costco. That's good. So it was okay. You know, all that matters. And now our Costco has booze. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's okay. It's all okay. I don't know if the uh, Costco's out here have booze. When I first moved oh. out here, it was all state-run liquor stores. Mm -hmm. And so, like, they had just passed this bill that was going to allow uh, – like supermarkets to sell booze because you can buy beer and wine everywhere. But if you actually want to buy hard liquor, you had to go to a state right. store and everyone was super excited. It's like, Oh, it's going to save so much money. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's That's, not. Nope. But I mean, it is nice because now there are like liquor superstores you can go to where they have a good selection as opposed yeah. to. Yeah. We don't have that. <laughs> I mean, Colorado's liquor laws are so bizarre. Yes, that's true. Uh, I mean, they're so weird. They finally got rid of that like law where you could only buy like three two beer on Sundays. Like, yeah, but you can't buy anything but three two beer in grocery stores. Yep. And then the other weird thing is like, if and I don't know how our Costco down here in Park Meadows got away with it because the one up on Wadsworth still has liquor. And for like people listening, they're like, this doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> trust me, it doesn't make any sense here either. But like you can't have like a liquor mart or a, a, a wine franchise. Total Wine, for instance, mm -hmm. is in Arizona and freaking amazing. Yep, we've got those up here. Oh, God, it's awesome. When we would visit my parents in Arizona, the beer and wine was so much cheaper and the liquor was that we would get a crate <laughs> and fill it with liquor. And bring it back with us on Southwest because liquor flies free. Oh, wow. Because it's in, it's just like a bag. So we just like, it had this special container and we would just bring up a, back a ton of liquor. We sound like alcoholics. <laughs> We're not, but we saved so much money. It was insane. So we can't have total wine. We can't have any like liquor chain stores. And if you're like a major retailer like Costco, you can have one liquor license or Target. You can have one liquor license per county. And then it was my understanding that then the adjacent county could not have that store, like a Target superstore, mm -hmm. with the liquor license. Okay. Is that? It's so weird. 
Is that designed to protect like the independent liquor stores? It is. Okay. It is. And in a couple, I want to say last year, it was two thousand. It must be two thousand sixteen. Um, I'm trying to forget two thousand sixteen yes. election. Um, but I they ran an independent like reform bill, but the local liquor stores had so much money behind it that it just died. Mm-hmm. And it was like there wasn't enough money on on the the grocer side of all things. Um, the independent source just killed it. It didn't. It didn't pass, which was just sad. Well, and do you think that uh, the independent stores also had like actual like liquor distributors, and probably behind them? Because I was thinking, like, they're not going to want to cut down on their distribution. They're going to make sure they've right. got as much going as possible at all times. Yeah, and those independent stores are already expensive. So my thought was, if they brought it into grocery stores, it's just going to get more expensive everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, I don't want Davidson's, our nice independent liquor store that has this, the most amazing, like, scotch section that Mike goes to and has, like, a guy who specializes in scotch. I don't want him to not be there because we moved, you know, Johnny Walker to King Supers. So, it's just, I don't know. I can see it both ways. That's true. Um, Which... So, also, I realized I've heard you talk a little bit about your uh, politics time in D.C. and stuff like that, but, like... It's in politics time, yeah. Do you have any, like, fun stories you want to tell or just kind of, like, basic, uh, I mean, stuff you don't think people really know about that happens, you know, in... in Oh, God. Terrible D.C. So, well, let's go back to... Let's... To Nashville. So... When I um, was in grad school, so I went to Vandy for undergrad in political science and American studies, totally thought I was going to run for office someday, you know, loved politics, loved government, um, had that quickly shattered um, when I moved to D.C. And I'll come back to that. But um, <laughs> for for my master's degree in organizational leadership, we had to do a practicum, which is basically a fancy name for an internship. And so I interned with the Herald Ford Jr. for Senate campaign. So it was 2006. We're running an African-American man in Tennessee as a Democrat. His family didn't have a really good name behind it. Um, they, you know, were sort of known for s- scandal in, in Memphis and uh, it, or against Bob Corker. And this ah, is when yes. Bob Corker. Yeah. So this is when Bob Corker, this is a, an open seat. Um, and this is how much politics has changed. You know, Bob Corker kind of was one of the first to really have really nasty personal family attack ads. Um, so, you know, we're already running an African-American man in Tennessee. And I had the Southern, I had South, just South of Nashville, like Murfreesboro, which is probably the biggest city. Um, down to the border and over, I didn't have Chattanooga, but I was over to Chattanooga. So I had a lot of rural communities with good old boy Democrats um, who said to my face that they were going to vote for Harold Ford. And I had the numbers. And then I know that on election day, they let the color of his skin get the best of him. And that really depressed me. Um, So I, I, I was like, it, this part of this is so rural that 
I watched Harold Ford Jr. milk a cow. Wow. You know, like, um, and he's he was just like a really, really nice guy. Now he's under all this controversy. I never felt I was one of there was two women who were field directors who were out in the field every day just grinding. And I never felt um, harassed by him or um, uncomfortable around him. I just thought he was just so warm and nice and I believed in him. And so this stuff that just came out about him just really, I was really upset because I just don't, I, I don't buy it. You know, I just always thought he was just so good. Um, and so that was really depressing. And, and, sort of the worst part of the whole thing was that Bob Corker put out this ad. Well, they said it wasn't Bob, but it was Bob. <laughs> Freaking Bob. Um, and he's really short, by the way. Um, so Bob Corker put out this ad saying where you see this picture of Harold, of a fake Harold Ford Jr. Oh, great. With, yeah, with, uh, like you see the back of his head, um, with a white woman. And, um, Harold Ford was in and is now, yeah. And is now married to that white woman. Um, She went everywhere with him, but she was never seen. Um, And she was very much known with throughout our campaign for like, she was with him for like the last couple of weeks of the campaign. I'll say, I think, and you know, they would pray together. He was deeply religious. um, And, and they put out this ad And that's what did it was this sort of notion that this African-American man was stealing our white women. And that's what did it. It was one of the worst ads. It was a huge turning point for our campaign. Um, We had all this momentum and then it was just shot to shit. Um, And I think that's what got the better of people as depressing as that is. And then. That's not even a dog whistle. That's pretty um, blatant at that point. Oh, it's so blatant, and I should find it. I'm sure it's out somewhere. Um, we had, remember, this is Tennessee in 2006. This is before um, people got the right to marry. Uh, you know, homosexuals got the right to marry. Um, we had video. This is right when Facebook came out. We had video from one of my interns found of, um, I don't think anyone's ever said this publicly, so this is breaking news, Noel. Oh, my gosh. Um uh, Breaking news! <laughs> Twelve years ago, um, we had video of Bob Corker's, and um, you know, could have run with it, could have gone dirty, and Harold Ford said, "No, there's no way mm-hmm. we're doing that." Um, and we didn't. And Which is good, I don't that know. Has no bearing on a political campaign. No, no, but neither does Harold Ford it's, Jr. It's true. Dating a white woman, you know, and that's and, even and worse think, because it's the yeah. racial connotation of it. Oh yeah, so. I, I don't know what it would have done, but I always wondered, and this has happened so many times with Democrats, and I think this is why we lost for so long. Uh, newsflash, people, I'm a hardcore Dem. What? Um, what? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that Democrats played card for card. You know, I think that for the longest time, and still to a point, Republicans will throw out something really nasty and they'll win and Democrats won't fight back. Like we don't, we don't want to go toe for toe. We won't go eye for eye. And I think, I think that for the longest time, 
That's why we kept losing. I mean, the president of the United States is a freaking abuser, harasser, moron. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like you could just name a bunch of things, and he qualifies I, I, I could for just name yeah. bad things, and he would just line it line up there. And it's just like if we as Democrats would have played toe for toe with that, I don't think we would have gotten so far down in the House. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think we would have, I, I think we would have won a lot more seats. And so it, I always go back to that, um, that moment when, when he said no, and it's the right thing to do morally and ethically. But mm-hmm. would it have made a difference if we fought like that, like they do? And, and it's sort of a quandary that I, I, that I think about a lot when I don't see Democrats going negative. And I agree with with St. Michelle Obama, you know, when they go low, we go high, but that got us Donald Trump. So, and Bob Corker, mm-hmm. um, possibly. So, you know, it's something that it's always kind of bugged me. Um, Do you think and I, in that situation, if, cause I think sometimes what Democrats worry about is when they fight back, they end up doing sort of what's a, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton did with her basket of deplorables mm-hmm. or Obama with his, you know, clinging to their guns and religion. Do you think it's possible to fight back by going specifically after, say, in this situation, Corker, and just, like, taking him specifically to task for doing that without kind of trying to paint everybody else, you know, as racist? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's, oh, it's so hard to tell. Yeah. And I think... Thankfully, the political landscape has become, uh, in terms of acceptance, I would say, much more liberal, mm-hmm. uh, much more progressive. Even in you know, look at Alabama for God's sakes. Um, and I and I think, you know, Harold Ford won in Nashville. Um, I think we would have probably picked up some votes in in my area. He probably would have done even better in Chattanooga. He definitely won Memphis. That's where he's from. But uh, you know, I don't. I don't know. Um, what would have happened if he had just gone after Corker, you know, Corker with these family values and we're hit, sitting in the heart of the Bible, we're sitting in the buckle of the damn Bible belt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it it's just something I've always thought about. Why does it keep beeping? Sorry. Um, I can't even really hear it. Oh, good. Well, that's good. Um, So, you know, I don't know. It's just something that's always sort of bugged me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, definitely makes sense. So, yeah. So, but I luckily um, from there uh, had a job lined up just in case in, in DC. You know, I didn't expect that uh, if he won, that there would be enough jobs to go around. Um, There was a lot of us. Um, And so I, and mind you, the governor won, the Democratic governor won Mm -hmm. Um, uh, at that same time, which is, I, I always found kind of interesting because it's rare for a split ticket like that. Yeah. Um, he was an incumbent, but um, so I had a job running um, all the student programs for the League of Conservation Voters, which is an organization that I've always admired since I was a little kid. Um, I mean, I was, I still have somewhere my Clinton Gore t-shirts from when I went canvassing with my dad um, when I was a kid, but I, I, and we always followed what the LCB was, who they were 
going behind and everything. So uh, it was kind of a, an honor for me to to work for them. That's really cool. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a lot of people get excited to meet their like heroes, mm -hmm. but for me, working for this organization was was pretty up there, especially my first real job out of college. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I mean, I got to uh, see Hillary Clinton. Um, I, I when I worked for Harold Ford Jr., I got to meet Barack Obama and uh, meet Bill Clinton. Um, and I didn't get to meet him, but uh, they knew I was a big fan. I was a huge fan of Wes Clark's. Still am. And the the guy who was his sort of Harold Ford's uh, handler and bodyguard, um, he knew how much I loved Wes Clark and had Wes Clark sign uh, a card for me that I still have. That's and really it cool. says, um, and so when Carrie, when I was at Vanderbilt, I did a lot of, of voter registration. And I also was like the head of the West Clark for president team that sort of draft West Clark. And um, so he wrote the card and said, dear Courtney, thanks for all that you did for me at Vanderbilt and all you're doing for Harold best ah. Wes. And it's like on his like four star general stationery and everything. Um, wow. and it's pretty damn cool. And it, it, I wish I could have met him, but I had a, like another thing across the state and it was just depressing. But um, you know, we had all these people come out, but when I was at LCV, they interview all the candidates um, for president. <laughs> I remember seeing Hillary Clinton and I got all excited because I'm like, it's Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. um, and she goes to the, the president of the organization, she goes, Gene, what do I have to do to get this, to get this endorsement? She added much more colorful language, but... Um, <laughs> Like I saw her from across the room and then we got to listen in on the phone calls. She goes, Gene, what the bleep do I have to do to get this endorsement? And I'm like, I hope we're on mute because we're all laughing really, really hard. <laughs> um, so that was really cool. And then this, this next part has sort of a uh, sad ending, but um, I was really big in this group of young organizers. I, mean, I was 22, 23 years old. Um, who was working on a thing called power shift and power shift uh, was really our goal was to cut carbon by 80% by 2050 through legislation. So we had kids from all over the college students from all over the country organizing this um, LCB was a big part of it. I headed up the organizing in DC um, with a bunch of other organizers. Um, and, but it was like my main focus and uh, I actually posted a really cool picture, sort of a throwback to it yesterday on my Facebook. There's a, we did this huge postcard with 2000 people came. Oh yeah. I saw that. Um, so we did that and it was in time magazine. Um, I was really, I was interviewed by Al Jazeera and, um, I was also interviewed by Canadian broadcasting, like the CNN of Canada, mm -hmm. uh, which was pretty cool. Cause it's my first like live shot where you can't see them. And you're just staring at the abyss of a camera. And it was really bizarre. Um, so I did all that. I did a bunch of media for that. Um, and then we also, when candidates were in town, we'd go um, and we'd ask them questions. So um, <laughs> I remember I was at Howard University. I was like the only white kid in the audience. There was probably 200 people in this auditorium. And it was John Edwards. And I'd always been a John Edwards fan. 
not just because he's dreamy looking, um, but I really liked his politics. I thought, a, a, you know, a Southern Democrat was the way to go. And I still s- sort of stand behind that um, in terms of presidential elections. But uh, so th- there's there's John Edwards. And he called on me first, which I thought was odd hmm. since I was the only white kid in yeah. the entire audience, except for my friend Shadia sitting next to me, who's like who's Israeli. You know, so it's just that um, maybe she's Iranian. Either way, it was just the two of us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, I said, uh, Mr. Edward, uh, Senator Edwards, um, I'm here with a group of students. And I was wondering if you'd be the first presidential candidate to commit to cutting carbon by 80 percent by 2050. And he laughed and I was like, oh, <laughs> and he goes, well, way to steal my thunder. Ah. And it turns out that the next day he was releasing his energy plan and he actually was the first to 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 call for that um so he was uh he he, i talked to him afterwards and he was like if only i had known you were going to say that you know i would have called on you (laughs) no i wasn't a planted question didn't know what the questions were going to be i didn't have on a t-shirt i just look like an upstanding citizen so he didn't even Um, know like what organization you were from no okay Mm -mm. No, because when I got back to the office and I told them what happened, they were like, oh, shit, because <laughs> apparently that was direct lobbying, blah, 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 blah. Oh, my gosh. It's like I asked him a question. I didn't tell him what to do. Yeah, as, uh, as you just said, you weren't there, like, in a role, like, an official role. Right. Like- I was like, I, I will call it as time off or whatever. So, uh, yeah, that was that was highly entertaining. But, uh, yeah, working in D.C. was interesting. It, the city is run by um, interns and 20-somethings mm. um, who live in group houses on Capitol Hill. And uh, it, it's, it's a weird place. It's a weird, weird place. Like... I saw Dennis Kucinich on the street and I, I have this, I, I'm one of those weird people who always watches the state of the union and oddly enjoys C-SPAN hearings. And so <laughs> I find them very relaxing. Um, and so I know like visually a lot of the house members and senators, I was like, that's Dennis Kucinich. That's with a friend of mine. And I remember he was standing on, we we're in the middle of the freaking street. He was standing on, a curb and I was standing in the street and I was still taller than him. I recall seeing uh, the way that the Simpsons had made fun of him. They basically make him into like smaller than a leprechaun. Oh, he's like five foot tall. I mean, and he's married to this beautiful, like six foot tall redhead. Good (laughs) for him. Yeah. Kucinich is gorgeous, but Mr. Kucinich is very short. So I was sort of surprised by that. He's like Barbara Boxer height, and she's really short too. Wow. Um, so yeah, I got to do some cool stuff in DC. Um, I spoke in front of the Lincoln Memorial um, with a huge rally with Van Jones, who's now on CNN, which is always weird for me to see. I was like, I know that dude. Like we used to hang out. <laughs> and um, now he's got his own talk show. And now he's got his own talk show and he's kind of a big deal and he's an incredibly nice man and uh, was a huge leader in the hip hop caucus, which uh, helped sort of spread the importance of environmentalism to uh, disenfranchised populations. Um, And so that was pretty cool too. 
I don't know. I got to do some cool stuff. That yeah, that's that's all really cool. I mean, I'm sure you've got like tons of stories and all that stuff. I've it's funny. I've never actually even been to DC. Like really? Uh, no. I'm I'm very much. Like, I've I've been to the East Coast like twice. Yeah. Um, I've never really even been to the South. I've uh, been all over the Midwest and the West Coast. That's about yeah. it. The South is hot and beautiful, and the people are super nice. And D.C. is a uh, – one of the reasons I wanted to leave D.C. was I always felt I was going to get stabbed in the back, mm. both figuratively and literally. Like, I never quite felt safe in D.C. because um, there's so many people. Yeah. You always felt like someone was gunning for your job. Um, it's beautiful. I loved – I loved living in a city where I could see the sky because like I could never live in New York. I'd be too claustrophobic, but in DC, nothing can be taller than the Capitol. Mm -hmm. So it's great. Like I, we would climb up to the roof of our building on Capitol Hill and watch the fireworks on the 4th of July because nothing can be taller than the Capitol. Just a bunch so, of office buildings. Just a bunch of office buildings. And, and so, you know, it's, it was a cool place to live um, I'm glad I did it, um, but it wasn't for me long term. I wasn't going to be a Hill staffer, you know. I just I didn't see that life for me. Also, no, where do I say I'm from? Like, how the hell do I pick yeah. a place? So, I mean, I guess I had more appeal to people because I'd be like, oh yeah, I could I could represent any of these ten states. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, I really didn't have a place that was home until I moved to Colorado, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't see myself doing that long term. I wasn't happy um, living there. It's a, it's really tough. I, and some people are cut out for it. And it, it just wasn't what I wanted long term. Um, but I wanted to stay in politics. And that's, you know, that's why I made the leap to move to Colorado without sort of the pressure of federal government. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel that like, you had to be 100% behind whatever cause or group you were you know advocating for all the time yeah okay. yeah so i was i interviewed for a job at the humane society um a really good position and i barely I, I, she called me to tell me she was sorry um i'm still in touch with her um she she wanted she had someone else had you know just enough qualifications above me um i also interviewed for uh i forget what the job title was it was a pretty good position at the Young Dems of America. Um, and I didn't get that one either, uh, obviously. But uh, that one I could have done because I was fully behind it. Um, I'm, I'm very much a, a party person in mm -hmm. terms of the Democrats. But for the Humane Society, I'm not a vegan. Like, oh. <laughs> I... I mean, we grew up in the Midwest. Like, I yep. need bacon and cheese. Jeez. Like, I don't, I don't think you understand. Like, I put cheese on my cheese. So, mm -hmm. like, going vegan was just not an option. And I, I love the lady who, who was would have been my boss. Um, she's amazing. She still does amazing work. But uh, uh, I'll never forget. We had this mouse problem in our house here, and she suggested I get humane traps. Yeah, and I'm like, I love you, but no, like, they're yeah. ha antivirus carrying yep. devils that eat everything 
They chewed a hole in my carpet and I have a toddler. No, kill it. Um, so we got a cat. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, I couldn't do that. I don't think I would have stayed in that job if I had gotten it because there are some things that I just can't get behind. Like I need real protein. I don't need soy. Yeah. Like I just can't, I can't do it. So yeah, I do feel like if you weren't a hundred percent behind it, um, it was really tough. I also, my boss at LCV and I did not get along. Um, his boss and I are very good friends. He's one of my mentors. Um, he's out here. I actually beat him. He's a Colorado native and I beat him back here and I always hold that over his head. Um, <laughs> Cause he came like two years after I did. But um, I think it, my boss and I, we had different opinions on how to organize. Um, and we came from two very different schools of thought. And so that was hard too, because a lot of times in DC, I feel like it's, if it's not your way, it's the highway. Like you, I, I automatically know better than you, but everyone thinks that. Mm -hmm. So, so it was very difficult. Yeah. Um, not so much of a, uh, you know, group effort and we're you know we're no. all getting our input together yeah because we're all tops of our classes in mm. political science at so-and-so university you know so it, it it was a just wasn't a comfortable environment for me so i left that's good yeah but at least you know you enjoyed your time there and i did uh, i did met a lot of great people a lot of great contacts still good stories Learned a lot about federal government. Learned I didn't want to really be in federal government. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I still, I will never put off the the thought of running for something, but I don't think I'd ever want to be like a staffer in federal government. Like that just, no. Like, yeah. first of all, it's really hard work. <laughs> Second of all, you're doing all this work, but your name is not on it. Like, mm -hmm. But you're the first to get you know fired if something goes wrong. Right, right. So, yeah. No, so I came out here and uh, continued to be super liberal and uh, worked for Planned Parenthood. I was going to say, because I've got that on my notes here. <laughs> um, so I just kind of wanted to, like, ask you. I mean, it's a very general question. Yeah. But um, I sent out, like, a I – put, I put on Facebook maybe a few months ago – just kind of like asking people to email me and I was like in complete confidence about like how they felt about abortion, reproductive rights and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, so like, I just kind of wanted to get from you, like what is, are some things that you feel that most people don't know that Planned Parenthood does as well as like, you know, some misconceptions around just the, yeah. like, the whole debate about Planned Parenthood and like reproductive rights. Yeah, I've actually had to stop arguing with people on Facebook about this because they're wrong. Um, you know, federal funding and all that nonsense. And um, when I worked at Planned Parenthood, so I was, I organized that, you know, I organized college campuses um, to have sort of uh, student Planned Parenthood groups, so reproductive rights groups. Um, but more than that, I, so that was one part of it. But most importantly, Planned Parenthood is about education. Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains, which is um, Denver, um, Nevada, Wyoming. Wow. Um, at all, yeah, all on the front. Yeah, it's huge. Um, I flew down Durango once. Like, it's the entire state, all along I-70, Durango, um, 
not Steamboat. I want to say this one in Craig, um, all the way up into Wyoming and out into Nevada. So it's huge. And what people don't realize is the primary focus of Planned Parenthood um, is education. Is to try, like that's, there's, well, education and health. So, you know, we're trying to educate people about how you get pregnant because you'd be surprised at how many people don't realize how that happens. Um, and Ugh. how to use a condom and here's a condom and, um, you know, here's how you get on the pill for really cheap. Um, but the other thing, Planned Parenthood is often the only source of medical a- attention and treatment for women and men in many low-income areas because you can walk right into the clinic. So, you know, in a lot of these areas, it was the only place you could go. Um, you know, Planned Parenthood offers low-cost birth control. They offer free condoms left and right. They offer STD education. They offer STD treatments. Um, and yeah, they offer abortions. But and they offer Plan B, which is you know you take a pill mm-hmm. in case you think you're pregnant. But um, the primary work they do is not abortions. It's not like they're like going out to the street and holding up signs like, "Hey, do you want me to take that fetus out of you today?" Yeah. Like it's just not it's just not what they do. Um, and, and it's not like they're like you, you don't walk in and they say, "I'm here for an abortion. Take a number." It's more like. Let's talk through all your options, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and people say, oh, they don't, they don't help with adoptions. No, they don't help with adoptions, but they'll refer you to someone who does. If Planned Parenthood brought adoptions in-house, it would be a freaking nightmare. Yeah, like, it's just not, it's just not logistically possible. So I hate that argument. Um, so I, my primary focus was handing out condoms to kids at CU and CSU, like, and setting up booths at um, health fairs and making sure that that kids knew where the closest Planned Parenthood was so they could go and get counseling. And, um, you know, at CSU, uh, there was a girl who I worked with who's I'm still in touch with and she's absolutely amazing. And she had a really hard time um, and she needed counseling on um on her sexuality. And that's something that Planned Parenthood offers oh, too. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it. it's not just, it's, it's not just abortions. And that's what drives me insane. It's, um, uh, but I will say that um, I'm thankful for Planned Parenthood's ability to perform abortions. Um, my OBGYN is one of the last doctors in Colorado that will perform late-term abortions. Um, it's one of the reasons I chose him. Um, he still volunteers there every weekend. Um, and I know it's not easy for him. Um, oh, so it, it can't be easy. So Dr. Um, I'm not going to say his name, but he and I, probably best. He and I have become good friends. Um, and when we miscarried at 11 weeks, he cried with me when he had to tell me. Like this is a man with a full heart yeah. who wants healthy children. He's not going to go abort your kid, your fetus at 30 weeks because 
um, you just changed your mind. Um, and as someone who's been pregnant twice um, and had one successful pregnancy, I can't imagine going that long. It's hell. Being pregnant sucks. Um, but, you know, he's not going to be like, oh, you don't want that anymore. Let me take that out. Yeah. If there's something medically wrong, if your life's at risk, that's why they do it. It's not it's not like, oh, you changed your mind. And Planned Parenthood has amazing counseling and 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 you know options and it's just it's just so frustrating for those of us who've worked there or who support them to to see all these crazy people who don't don't want to believe it and just see it as you're killing babies but mm -hmm. when the baby comes out you're not going to support it either so you know that's a whole nother argument um so the majority of the emails i got in response were you know, basically saying the same thing that you are. They're almost saying the same things like as everybody else. Um, but yeah, it was like this idea that still among some people, you know, they're, you know they're, we're all for, you know, abortions if it, you know, it's about, you know, health or something like that. Raven says life of the mother. Yeah. yeah. But then they would sort of, a few of them, and obviously not going to give any of them away, would say things like, you know, I just don't think it should be some form of, you know, like after the fact contraception. Birth and control. Like, that's not what, what? No, like, you, I don't think you understand. Like, I don't understand a whole lot, I should say, but like, I know enough to be like, that doesn't make any sense. I've also, um, I've asked him to come on here a few times. He kind of gives me the polite, uh, saying no without saying no. I've got a <laughs> friend who's a Lutheran minister and he is very much, um, active in the, you know, pro, I, I don't like this term, but just for, because I use it. Yeah. The, you know, pro-life circuit, if you will. The anti-abortion circuit. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Just like, you know, because if you do pro-life, it makes it sound like anybody who's not, uh, anyone who's in favor of access to abortions is pro-death. Right. And he posted something about uh, a bill that I think went down in the Colorado State Legislature that would have required women to see uh, mm -hmm. pictures of, like, the ultrasound before their abortion. Mm -hmm. it's, he, it's still that's legal in texas i think and kansas which doesn't surprise me right um but he he also said something about how it got shot down because you know the the lucrative abortion industry it's like wait, what the like and, oh the selling the body parts thing yeah or whatever yeah, i think funny. just like yeah. there's this idea that planned parenthood is some sort of like Government-funded right. mega corporation that's just raking in the dough for you know either doing abortions or you know handing out condoms. Which yeah. I don't want to go too far down this, but I was watching just a clip on YouTube of the View panel talking about the walkouts today by students mm -hmm. in regards to uh, protesting gun violence. I guess not protesting. There's kind of like, no. hey, what are you guys going to do? Kind of like more yeah. of a message. And uh, Megan McCain's response was just sort of like, uh, you know, this issue's bigger. People don't understand it and stuff like that. It's like, well, where are you guys when it comes to, like, doing the same thing when it comes to women's health? Like, it kind of right. seems like where you know, both arguments happen on either side that uh, but they seem like they're, you know, one's not correct and the other one is where, 
one side is legitimately looking out for the profits of gun manufacturers, mm -hmm. while the other is looking out for women's health, but is being told by the other side that they're somehow defending or they're the pawns of you know, the, how you would even call it, the abortion juggernaut industry. Like, Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the argument that people try to make, and it's false, is that Planned Parenthood puts in for all this Medicare money for abortions, which it's not a thing. Like, yeah, you can't, it doesn't work that way. Um, it, it's so frustrating. I saw a poster today. I was watching um, the live coverage here where kids walked out of West. Is it West? No, East. They walked out of East um, High School in downtown and walked all the way to um, the Capitol. But there's also kids who walked out of Columbine. Mm -hmm. And that was hard to watch. You know, I wasn't here when that happened. Um, I remember exactly where I was, but I wasn't here. And so seeing those kids walk out was really, really touching. Um, and they read all the people's names who died in, in Florida. And one kid held up a sign that says something like, um, why... Uh, only no more than no more kids. Um, something about like how your guns aren't more important than a child, than one child, mm -hmm. something like that. I'll have to find it. And I was just like, and now as a mom, like I was for common sense gun control before, like we're gun owners, but like I cried. I'm sitting here at my computer just sobbing because, um, yeah, I get that. Like, why is that more important? It, you know, and I, I understand the other side of the abortion thing. They think that this, that, that abortionists, people who are promoting abortions are killing children. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've had a DNC because of our miscarriage. And those abortionists would say, anti-abortionists would say that I had an abortion. Um, and that I should have let, the, the, the hardcore ones would have said that I should have let that pass naturally which is the emotion, most emotionally putrid thing I've ever heard. Um, on, a, on a sort of funny note, um, when I, so I worked at the main Planned Parenthood office um, at 38th in Stapleton and 38th in Quebec. And we had protesters all I'm the sure. time. Um, so much so that we had a former FBI agent as our head of security. And we had several security agents. Everything you had to cart in and cart out. Um, the gate to get into the building was uh, like you had to drive through a secure gate. Um, it was very, very secure, which was quite terrifying looking back at it. I'm glad I did it. But it was terrifying. Um, but I'll never forget. So this one day, remember, I used to work for an environmental nonprofit in D.C. So global warming was kind of my thing. Mm hmm. And so there's these crazy people out front. They have an RV that's covered in baby doll heads. I think I may have seen like oh, at least a van that's like that. Oh yeah, terrifying. And and the worst part was it was a mom and her um, mentally disabled son, um, and he was like 35, mm -hmm. and she was old and scary, and they would always have a couple like new crazy people. And we all had nicknames for all of them. And as one does, uh, you, I mean, you have to, Yeah. Um, 
So I'm sadly blanking on them now. So I'm walking in and they would throw baby heads over the wall. I and mean, this is a 25 foot wall. They would throw stuff over at us and they would scream through the gate. Um, and I was walking into work and you kind of have to like, they want you to go pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and oftentimes on, uh, there would be like older, awesome ladies who would be there escorting clients into the building. Cause it was also, um, a clinic. Yeah. And so, um, I remember this day just very distinctly. There was all, there was like a bunch of protesters that day. And there was the ladies walking the clients in. And I remember seeing the cops and one of the protesters yells at me, you're causing global warming by sending all those baby souls to hell. What the? Yep. Uh... So I laughed. I stopped dead in my tracks in the middle of the parking lot. <laughs> and I'm laughing so hard. I'm barreled over forward. The FBI agent has to come get me. And I'm like, did you hear what he said? <laughs> and they have to walk me into the office. And then I go upstairs and there's like, it's like development. You know, it's all of the organizers. It's like a huge staff. And I go, oh my God, you guys, you will not believe what they yelled at me today. And it was just, it was one of the most ridiculous things any yeah. of us had ever heard. <laughs> But especially since where I had come from, I was just like so baffled that I was speechless. But you actually believe in global warming? I was like, yeah, I should have been like, wait, do you want to talk about that? Because <laughs> I have some ideas. Oh, it was killer. It was killer. I'll talk global warming with you. Yeah. I was so, baby souls, global warming. Got it. Okay. I'm glad we cleared that up. Let's Ugh. cut baby souls by 80% by 2050. Uh, you know, if that's really what's doing it. But that's probably my favorite story from Planned Parenthood um, is that, and um, I had a friend dare me to um, he never believe that I would, was just handing out condoms like this. And he lived in, in DC. And so my boss from DC, the one that I liked was out visiting. We had breakfast and I brought him a box of condoms. And I said, I need you to bring these back to so-and-so in D.C., who is now like a Harvard fellow. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, real idiot. Um, and and these aren't just – these are like shoebox sizes of industrial condoms in five colors, um, red, green, yellow, blue, and black, which I was like, that's – okay. Those are some weird-ass colors. And then – and we had like different types and, you know, all the different condoms and well, variety is the spice I, of life. So apparently in color too, because that's really <laughs> what I'm thinking about. And so I sent him back to DC on an airplane with like 1300 condoms. <laughs> and I was like, I need you to give those to so-and-so. And he did. And I got the funniest phone call. It's <laughs> like, I cannot believe you did that. That's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, good luck using all those, friend. Yeah, you have to be committed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's and have a lot of energy too at that point. A lot of energy. <laughs> and he was with he was at that time he was with uh, the same girl for like five years. So uh, you know, yeah. Yep. He's never gonna use all those condoms. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that I love doing that. I love saying that. But I did I loved handing out condoms to these kids discreetly. Um, it's amazing how 
ashamed kids are of the fact that they're having sex. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I led a huge um, Take Back the Night march at CU one year. It was pouring rain. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was – I stayed – I was there for 10 months um, before moving on because it, it was tough. It was emotionally really draining. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll, I don't regret it. I did – one of my favorite moments in life, though, was through Planned Parenthood – um, ironically, I went back to DC for a conference, um, where I met my best friend, um, who was also working at Planned Parenthood at the time. Um, and, but I got to meet Cecile Richards and mm-hmm. she was, a, she was head of Planned Parenthood at the time. She's just recently stepped down, but her mom, um, Ann Richards, Ann Richards, yes, was the reason that I wanted to be in politics. I remember my dad used to get, te- so my dad's an editor and a writer. My dad used to get Texas Monthly Magazine. We never lived in Texas. <laughs> he never lived in Texas. Like, I don't understand why. He's just really like the writing. Hmm. So we get Texas Monthly, and there was a one issue where Ann Richards was on the cover in a black leather biker outfit sitting on her motorcycle. And it was this amazing article about her. And I just was like, she was my she was my icon like she was it um she did all this stuff. she was the first female governor in texas and she was a democrat like mm-hmm. i was just so blown away and so when i got to meet Cecil richards is after her mom died i cried like a little girl because <laughs> i was so excited like i met hillary clinton i met bill clinton i've met all these big names i met obama and i'm like you're it like yep this is it. And she's in such amazing work and I'm excited to see where she goes next. But meeting her was one of the, the coolest things that I've ever been able to do. Um, it was just for a short moment. She gave me a hug and she was just the coolest, chillest, very tall um, woman that I've ever met. And it was just cool because her mom meant so much to me. It's all of her mom's fault that I'm so politically active. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we have to thank uh the late Governor Ann Richards then. Uh, yeah. Also, I can't think of uh, Seal Richards without thinking of, um, I think it was Ted Cruz showing her a chart. And yes. going, I've never seen that before. Where did you get that? And he said, oh, I think my staffers made it up. Like, like what kind of aha moment was this supposed to be? Where it's like, have you ever seen this thing that I just made up? No. Uh, well, no. damn it. She's, she's super, super smart. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see more from her. Um, uh, I've heard rumors that she's going to either help run a campaign or uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't run for something herself. Because she's, she's brilliant. She's a brilliant woman. Um, and fun to, like, she's a great speaker too. Uh, whenever she spoke at um, DNC's, because, you know, I nerd out and watch those whole things, uh, I was always mesmerized. And that's actually... The DNCs, because I watch them every year since I was a little kid, like this freaking Super Bowl um, for Democrats. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where I first saw Harold Ford Jr. His speech um, to the DNC for Clinton was amazing. And that's when I sort of fell in love with his politics and with Harold Ford Jr. And so when I got the opportunity to work for him, it was kind of like, oh, wow. You know, I, I love when stuff like that comes full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but oh, I I do have one funny story for you about my okay. time at Vanderbilt. 
Um, and anyone who you ever meet that knows me from Vandy will probably tell you this story. So um, Howard Dean um, had come to speak and oh, I just put two things together. So Howard Dean came to speak and he was head of the DNC at the time. This is after the monkey call. <laughs> and the monkey call heard around the world. Freaking idiot. Ah! Um, that's it. That was perfect. That was a perfect representation. Um, I didn't ask him to do it, but I wanted to. So there was, um, I don't know, 2,500 people in this auditorium at Bandy. And I knew one of the gals who was sort of making like going through the questions to make sure the questions was, were okay. She was a good friend of mine. She is now the education, the, the um, secretary of education for the state of New Jersey. Wow. Like, like she was um, the head of higher education legislation for Obama in the white house. Like <laughs> she's gone yeah. to Penn, Vandy, Penn and Harvard. Like she's an idiot. So, um, and she somehow through all this just got married. Like, I don't understand. She's amazing. So, um, Hard worker. yeah, yeah, no, real slacker, real slacker. That one. So, um, I told her, I showed her my question, but then I didn't ask what I had shown her. Um, I was like, she's like, well, what's your question? About He's like, oh, it's about jobs. So this was 2005. So I was graduating that year and I didn't have a job. It was terrifying. And I said, in front of all these people, and Howard Dean, I said, Governor Dean, like many graduating seniors in this economy, were worried about um, jobs after college. And with that, I was wondering if you had a job for me. <laughs> and put him on the spot. I put him on the spot. And that asshole said, well, we have a really good internship program. Oh, fantastic. And I was like, no, that was after he did a almost monkey laugh. Um, but, uh, and I got a good laugh out of it. I didn't get a job. But the funny thing is, a year, year and a half later, when I went for my practicum, went to Harold Ford Jr. campaign, the head field director was the guy who was running, um, like, point for, for Howard Dean in Tennessee. He was like working at the DNC and he was in, so he was there. And I remember he took my information <laughs> at the Howard Dean thing. And then he was my boss a That's year and a half later. Did not realize it until I like sat down in front of him. Hey. <laughs> yeah. And now he runs, he does real estate in Tennessee. You know, it's just weird things. But uh, yeah, I asked Howard Dean. Ugh, he will. Yeah. I asked Howard Dean for a job in front of 2,500 people. <laughs> And he said no, which I was really depressed by. It would have been like, at least it would have been sort of funny if he just flat out said no. And that's such a cop out to be like, well, we've got a fantastic internship fantastic program. Fantastic internship program. I'm like, no, 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 no. No. Yeah. That's like, he's whenever, also really short, by the way. It's really short. Whenever people ask me, like, if my company is hiring and I'm not interested, like, I don't want to tell them that there's a job opening, because I'm like, I don't want you to uh, work. Then you're going to apply, and then you're going to ask for a recommendation. Well, not only that, like, if there's a, they're usually asking if there's an opening to work underneath me, and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to deal with you, like, as an employee. So I always just do the, yep, uh, our company is always hiring, just go on our website. It is always hiring. That's right. <laughs> and then you do the big sweeping arm motion that I'm doing, but you can't see, because we're on a podcast. That's true. Or uh, 
I used to have a, or she was a CEO of a company I worked for that would send us videos. And he was a very short man and would do those sweeping, like, arm motions with his red yes. power tie and, like, you know, yes. point in front of him with both hands and then to either side, like, let's clap them together. I'm like, ugh. I'm doing that now. Again, you cannot see it. <laughs> oh, well, I hate to cut this short because it's been a good interview and good podcast, but uh, I'm on some new medication where I have to. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> plus, no, I'm... you have to leave this part in. You have to leave this I part will, in. I will. I yes. will. Um, plus, I should get to bed relatively soon because I need to sleep. But yeah, thanks for doing this with me. And uh, I'll have to. Oop. Now, I, now I'm beeping and everything's on mute. What the hell? I don't hear it. I don't hear okay. it. You're good. Um, maybe it's just coming through my headphones. Uh, but yeah, we'll have to see. Maybe if we can get you on with Michelle and myself or just Michelle or something. We'll, we'll try and do it again. Okay. Try. I'm here. I'm always ready to talk politics. Awesome. Thanks for doing All right. Have a good night. Thanks, you too. I don't know how to hang up. Bye. Bye.